0: Thank you for joining the Change I Am Possible, which is India's first Future Tech Meets Sustainability Podcast. And today I'm delighted and honored to have with me Gaia Harrington, who's the Director of Sustainability Services at KPMG. Gaia Harrington was all over the news last year for taking the report, the Limits to Growth Report, MIT, and testing it that the news was that civilization collapse by 2040 is imminent. So why don't we start with the backstory? I mean, before getting into what you have done, why don't we get to, you know, the the report? What did the report suggest at that point in time?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great question. Let's start with that. Yeah, so this is almost, this year, it will be 50 years ago. So half a century that this book was published by a group of uh, MIT scientists, as you said, And what they had done was they built the first dynamic systems model uh, of the world. So um, system dynamic modeling is a way to um, model, obviously, systems And what is a system. It's where variables are all connected to each other. You model a few variables and you assume a lot of, um, implicitly, you assume a lot of constancy. And that is not the case in, in systems modeling. So you just... All variables can influence each other. And what you see, if you look at systems behavior, is that uh, you see a lot of nonlinear behavior. So past trends cannot just be extrapolated into the future. You see jumps, delays, exponential growth, exponential decay, etc., which is actually a lot of the processes that we see in the real world. So I would argue that for a lot of things in the real world, um, System dynamics modeling is probably a better way to model things. So this group of MIT scientists had done that for the world, so global system model. And then they ran it, and to their own surprise, they saw that if we kept pursuing expansionary economic growth, as we are currently doing in pretty much every country in the world, um, if we keep doing that... Uh, we would see a steep decline in food production, population, industrial output, and human well-being levels. And so that was the key uh, message. They said, well, this goal needs to change. Uh, it, it is not sustainable. It means that either we change the goal ourselves, or the limits to growth will be forced upon us. But it's not simply not possible to keep pursuing growth
0: the media likes to push things and uh, blow it up because I, I guess sensation uh, journalism always works. But mm. yes, I mean, it, it's not something that we can take lightly. So right. it, 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 it is something serious because I, I think globally, the, the, the climate change is hitting home just recently i think i think two day two days back there was a tsunami at, at tonga so uh, th- these are happening too often now so tell me was there anything specific that caught your attention to revisit the 1972 limit to growth uh, report
1: yeah well um it just made a lot of sense to me that um pursuing Uh, I mean, we see it these days, right? This was 50 years ago. So at that point, if people had listened, we actually would have been able to make a relatively smooth transition to a sustainable world. But of course, people did not listen and they kept pursuing GDP growth very, very much. And so now we're bumping into these limits. That's basically what we're seeing. And this was already predicted. If you keep pursuing that, you're going to see increasing Uh, inequalities, right, economic and social inequalities, you're going to see increasing pollution and scarcity of resources. All of this is happening. We see more and more water scarcity, right? Uh, Climate change is is just carbon pollution, right? And that's not the only pollution that we're facing. We have entire dead zones now of land, of plastics in the ocean. Um, I don't know what it is in India, but I do know that the studies here in America, they show a 50% decline in sperm cells in men, of course. That's highly significant, right? And scientists think that that is also because of all the chemicals in our environment, in our food, in our furniture, in our water. etc. They are found everywhere, including in women's breast milk. So our our newborns that are born in this society are already exposed to this kind of pollution. So um, all of those trends, basically, and more prompted
0: me to do a data check. Yes I, I think the problem with the world is or consumption and that leads to more production. It, it, it's a loop because we have forgotten the art of conserving. We are constantly mm. producing, 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 which obviously leads to correlates to pollution, so many problems, and and there's consumption which leads to more production, and there's no conservation whatsoever, and this race to grow the GDP, and the capitalism itself, you know, because businesses are all functioning at at, at a profit at any cost, you know, and there is no ethos of. Uh, looking at ourselves and possibly recorrecting this. And I, I think we are all in a race to nowhere. I don't know whether we will, if we'll be able to kind of slow, slow down anymore, because I hope that a government or startup community or enterprise community figures a way where we can create a circular economy where we create stuff, but we do not pollute. And globally, I think I mean the the onus is, is on the the rich countries, the economically empowered countries, to kind of look and, and re-correct uh, the wrongs. I mean, you know, when you the, the, the news says twenty forty societal collapse imminent, what do you want to unpack that a little bit? What 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 do you actually mean by that? So oh, uh,
1: what the what they did, what you can do with that uh, global model, which is called Worlds Three, is run scenarios based on assumptions. So there was the, the scenario that was run on only historic uh, averages that was called business as usual and that very much predicted, uh, showed a collapse. Um, there were, were also scenarios where they assumed, for example, that we would divert resources away from industrial output towards human services like access to healthcare and education. And that produced a stable society. So it's not that we're doomed to uh, towards uh, collapse, which is also how this was presented a lot of times, right? This model predicts that we're doomed. As not, it was not a, a, a doom scenario. It was a warning, like hey, we need to change. Things. So um, I, what I did is I conducted empirical data from. Um, organizations like the World Bank, United Nations, the Ecological Footprint Network, etc., And so all publicly available data sets. And I compared that against the scenarios. And then what I found is that we are uh, very much aligned with the business right now, we're, we're very aligned with the business as usual scenario and the comprehensive technology scenario. So um, we are least aligned with uh, a scenario that that predicted sustainable worlds, basically, which is called a stabilized world scenario. We are not aligned with that one, but we're also not that far off. So the key message of my research was, well, right now we're not heading in the right direction, but we do have a now or never moment really in in history to change our trajectory. This window of opportunity is closing. So it's really, like I said, now or never.
0: What kind of data was added onto your algorithm model and how legit was the data? Where was the data collected from?
1: Yeah, so the, the variables in the model included, amongst others, uh, population, agricultural output, industrial output, services, um, ecological footprint, welfare levels, and, and natural resources. So this was obviously very high level, and um and those are the variables that I collected data from. So for example, about population, the UN publishes population, right? Um, the World Bank does that too. Um so all those things I, I had to use proxies for certain variables like industrial output. Um the United Nations produces and the World Bank produces of that too. Obviously, that's always gonna be a proxy. Um natural resources were um, I use Uh, Fossil fuel reserves for that, Um, so that's obviously a proxy too. Because, for example, water is one too. And then for pollution levels, I use um, carbon emissions, which is obviously an underestimation of pollution, like I said. But this was very interesting. Uh, Pollution data was hardest to find of any variable in my research. But then what I found is that we're most closely aligned with the scenario that predicts collapse as a result from pollution. So uh, I, I, one of my side conclusions was also that we need to collect way more data. And that's very interesting that we have a very good data on um, how much we produce and our GDP and all those things. Um, right? We measure that like every month or every quarter. But we have almost no idea how much of these chemicals we have in our
0: environment. So, so you're saying there is no data available on pollution. I, is it because, I mean, these are, uh, because some of the top polluting industries are the richest industries in the world. They are the, they are the ones who run the, the world. Is, the, is, is that the reason why the data wasn't available?
1: That's a likely part of the explanation, isn't it? Because um, they produce those chemicals and they release it into the environment um and in today's economic paradigm we call those externalities. but like if you are part of the system there really is no externality because everything is connected to everything it will come back to you right so and it does it comes back to us and it impacts our human health
0: right so has your research been endorsed by any climate scientists or individuals organizations
1: yeah i would um so um, it's been referenced, uh, it's been cited, you know, in other scientific papers, as that goes. Um, and I would say it's also very much um, embedded in other research, right? So that's the thing. It's like, if it was just my research, it was easy to discount it. Uh, but it's like it predicts um, declining welfare levels as resulting from pollution, including climate change. That is hardly research conclusion as by itself. Right, that's very much in accordance with pretty much everything that of the latest reports say. Well, we're nearing tipping uh, climate t- tipping point. So if you don't act now, it might be too late to ever do something. You, you know, this is obviously you see this a lot. You see um, Swiss Re um, putting out uh, a warning last year about you know um, countries. These countries, a significant proportion of countries in the world, are already at at risk of complete ecosystem collapse that's what they calculated uh so you know it's it's yeah like i said if it was just my report it was like hey yeah maybe maybe it's a bit overblown but i think if anything it's probably a bit on the optimistic
0: side right so so when when you say that it's not just your individual report could you talk a little bit about the people who you've been uh, collaborating with for building this report
1: Right. Uh, so, well, uh, so uh, this report I wrote by myself. The paper I wrote by myself. But of course, I used a lot of the things from other people. Like I said, there are people at the UN and the World Bank compiling this data that I used. Right. And um, after that, this uh, original Amnesty uh, Report was commissioned by the Club of Rome, which is an international uh, organization comprised of. Um, you know, just thinkers, politicians, artists around the world, thinking about um, world problems, basically. They commissioned that report. They asked those MIT scientists to make that model. And they still exist today. And they asked me to join uh, their economics transformation committee. So with them, I've been working on an updates to the report, um, to Limits to Grow, with a new uh, system dynamics model of the world that we will be presenting to the UN uh, Stockholm uh, 50 plus meeting
0: in June this year. Right. So, what do you think individuals, countries, or organization need to do to avert that 2040 societal collapse that you're talking about? What can we all yeah. do?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's also well, that's basically in the limits to growth uh, research as well because. Like I said, there was this uh, one scenario, the stabilized world scenario, where there is no collapse. So we should look at the assumptions made in that scenario and see if we can find that. And those are, are, again, those are uh, uh, recommendations that you see coming back in pretty much any other developmental research work, which is um, let go of this uh, GDP growth at all costs and put well-being at the heart of your economy um, so uh, I think a very strong narrative that we're seeing right now is that we need growth to lift people out of poverty. But um, I think it's very important, and you talked about that too, when you said, well, the, the responsibility is really on the rich country. Um, and that's true. And within the rich countries, it's on the, uh, it's on the responsibility of the rich people there. Because interestingly enough, in a lot of developed economy is also enormous inequality, where a lot of people are still actually living in poverty, even though the countries themselves in the aggregate are very, very rich. So it really lies on on the shoulders of the rich to share more, which is, I think, the real solution. Growth is not the solution, it's to share. And when you believe that narrative of, well, but we need growth to lift people out of poverty, you have to ask yourself, who is benefiting from that story? Because that is a way that the rich never have to share pie, right? But really, um, when we increase the pie, we bump into planetary limits, which in the end is going to decrease the well-being of everybody. So the solution is to just take this indirect way of getting to poverty eradication, which doesn't work anyway, right? I live in the US. It's the richest country in the history of the world. And we still have people who don't have access to education, really, um, uh, who don't have access to health care, uh, who are really living in abject poverty, but we have small pockets of the country. Some people are living very well in the U.S., but we have pockets in the country where people are, where right, their sewage isn't even working. So surely if growth really was the solution to poverty, wouldn't it have happened by now here at least? You
0: know, so it's just not very believable anymore, I think. Yeah, so, so you know, it, it's so very weird, you know, because it, it's such a complicated problem, you know, and it, it's not so easy. And you pointed out about the rich, you know, because data suggests that one person of the global pop- population, the rich elites, own 90 percent of the entire global wealth and the redistribution of the wealth if technology comes and plays a role with blockchain decentralization i mean i i i don't really know but i mean you know there's so much complication and and but somehow at least from my perspective the conversations that i'm having that there is a ray of hope with technology, you know, because technology is the tool which has always enabled us. So do you see technology as a tool playing a role in possibly maybe, you know, that stabilized world, going towards the stabilized world? Do you see that as a possibility?
1: Yes, great question, great question. And you put it exactly right, technology is a tool. It is not our savior. So what I mean with that, is as long as we keep holding on to this goal of uh, growth the tool of technology will also serve that goal if we change uh, that goal towards um meeting uh, human needs within planetary limits right if we adopt this concept of really so you enough for each but also a limit in this uh, enough in the in the sense that you put a limit on how much we really think we want and um, once you've adopted that yes technology is going to be an absolutely indispensable part of the solution right we absolutely need technology but it will not deliver those solutions by itself we first have to change our mindset
0: right so someone who's seen the data played with the data And knows the prediction, what the data predicts by 2040. How scared are you? Would you like my audience to know that if we do not correct, what could be the 2040 scenario?
1: First and foremost, I would absolutely love to be proven wrong. I would I would be if this does if none of this comes true and I would die an old lady mocked for being completely wrong in history, I would I would die happily, OK? Um, I just, you know, it's just the evidence is just so overwhelming. Like I said, my, my report is hardly the only one that came to this conclusion. It's almost a, 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 an academic cliche at this point. So um, yes, I do think that we will see, if we don't adopt this new narrative, um, I, I, I think we're going to see a lot more suffering in a nutshell. I think we're going to see a lot more division, I think we're going to see uh, wars fought over clean water, uh, I think we're going to see a lot of climate refugees, uh, which will increase xenophobia even more, um, I, I think. And that is a possibility as well, if we don't make this transition. I think we totally have it in us, humans, because we are very much capable of, of, of revolutions, and I don't mean in a violent way. But if we change our mindsets, um, a lot of nonlinear jumps can happen and we can we really do have the means and the technology to make this happen. And we do still, most importantly, have the time. If we will but we also had the time 50 years ago and we did not make use of that opportunity. Things are are different now. I think for example, the younger generation doesn't if you look in the US, which is the capitalist uh center of the world still i would say or at least historically it was but the younger generation more people now are more favorably towards uh socialism than capitalism so i think our mindsets are changing will it be quickly enough i really don't know all right uh,
0: would, we, would you like to summarize what your report says again you know the, those three or four scenarios the business as usual stabilized world would you like to summarize that yes
1: well, yes, and it's it's basically um, ultimately what I've been saying. So, business as usual is the narrative where we hold on to this idea of we can keep growing forever, uh, which is just not really. You don't see that in anywhere else in the world. But that is the economic paradigm that we can supposedly do that forever. Um, and then there's the, the other one that I used was comprehensive technology. Uh, so here we that's where the the scenario that you just basically uh, sort of describe by saying, well, we don't we can keep pursuing growth because technology, we can innovate ourselves out of any limit. And um this is uh so it does actually reduce the the steepness of the decline. So we can um at least in the aggregates, so we can do technology will help something, but it cannot really avoid declines. Um and and that's the difference with the third one that I mentioned, the stabilized world scenario, where we also use all those technologies, but we also consciously limit the growth to industrial equity, say we're gonna we're gonna satisfy ourselves with enough and we're gonna divert the rest of the resources or directly towards human services of healthcare and education.
0: Love. So Guy, what comes next? I mean, are you gonna uh, is there any concrete conversations that you're having with organizations or bodies such as uh united nations and uh, is there anything that which you would like to share with the audience
1: yes uh thank you for asking so there are a couple of things Um, i'm i've been asked to write a book about my research uh, because the journal article that you saw of course uh well well, it was very it was a journal article so it's very much uh neutral tone and you can't really talk about mindsets and stuff uh, so uh, when I was asked to write this book I very much went into this whole thing of uh, well-being what makes people happy etc what are all the things that I just mentioned to you so my book will come out uh, later this year as well uh, I'm working with the Club of Rome too uh, uh, on a book that uh, gives more concrete policy recommendations as I mentioned that will be presented to the UN uh, and that is, I Think has and what we did there was we looked at the global system and identified leverage points. So, when you work in a the system, there are you know a, a network is never completely random, or so you have little uh pressure points, so to say, where you have more influence than the others, right? It's just like, say, uh, social media connections, who in a lot of connections have more influence than are whole influence. So, um, this, this, this also happens in the in uh, non human. Our world, and um, we identified five leverage points for the global system. This is very interesting, I think, for um, also for India, for example, um, with your uh, because you have a lot of farmers still, and that's there's a lot of interesting things going on there. Um, because one leverage point is regenerative agriculture. How are we going to keep producing enough food with climate change, pollution of land and water? while our population is growing, for example. So right now, we use a lot of uh, fertilizers, uh, pesticides, which is, uh, again, very harmful for human health. It's killing up insects that we actually eat. <laughs> uh, so uh, it's not sustainable. But agriculture can actually be regenerative. It can also be done, for example, in a way that it stores carbon. So there's an lo- enormous amount of opportunity in agriculture. So that's one of them then uh, the second one will not surprise you, that's renewable energy. We all are very well aware of that. Obviously, we need to electrify everything and go to completely renewable uh, energy uh, generation. And then, um, then the third one, uh, the third leverage point is very much new growth models, so that's what I already discussed, to uh, reduce, uh, to eliminate, really, the poverty in the world. We, for the people at the bottom, we have absolutely need also economic growth. But it needs to be in a way that it's circular, as you said. So without the pollution, which is very much possible. Um, the first one is reducing inequalities, because partly because we are so divided because of inequalities, it's very hard for us to come together. And um, so we're talking about uh, very active redistribution, those kind of things that you mentioned. Um, taking away old old rights from the older and richer generation, those kind of things. And the fifth one is a family. So there's a lot of opportunity there. And a large component of that is gender equality. Gender equality is actually a leverage point in the world, which makes sense if you think about it, because it's in large parts of the world. Women are completely underutilized. So all this brain capacity that they have we don't we don't even use a fraction of it a lot of times um so and we need all that innovative power to make this transition right so access to education and healthcare especially for women because also when women have access to healthcare um and uh, education they typically choose to delay having children having fewer of them and so when you delay children typically on average you can Take better care of them. Infant mortality is lower, uh, and of course, when you have a lower growth population, that reduces the pressure on everything on the resources as um,
0: Lovely, lovely. Wish, wish you the very best, Gaia, for the new book. And thank you, Gaia. I really felt nice talking to you because I've been wanting to talk to you and understand this report, the news that I'd seen in July 2020 about the societal collapse. And and I, I after this conversation, I'm left with equal amount of positivity and negativity. Positivity because I feel that we humans still have a chance to kind of course correct and negativity because our business as usual model does not allow us to get us get uh, out from the loop because we are constantly consuming uh, and, and producing and and if if your business as usual scenario sticks that means that we will uh, meet uh, 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 uh that will lead to a societal collapse so so i hope that the powers that be i hope that the listeners uh, take notice i hope that the government uh, uh, understand that we are in an exciting space of time and there's so much that we can do we can create a better world if we all join our hands together and take the right decisions we have for the first time in human history we've got tools uh, uh, such as technology to enable us to correct the 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 decisions uh the wrong decisions and and, and make it right so on that note uh, guy I really appreciate you being part of the podcast thank you uh, for taking time and being part of the podcast and to my listeners if you like what you see in here then please press the subscribe button until next time see you guys bye bye thank you